Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents podcast. I have my friend here, Denzel Washington, with me. What up, insurgents? Today, do you want to go home or do you want to go to jail? Thank you, Denzel, for that <laughs> quote from one of your movies. So we're going to talk today about the birth of fallen human civilization. Mm. Talk a little bit about how the seminaries see the city. In my seminary, there was a big push on missional theology. Right. And so the piece was that in Genesis 4, it was the creation of civilization because of cities being there. Yeah. And, and so the importance of cities and evangelizing then cities based on Genesis 4 was that you have a large number of people coming together in a city. And then if you can evangelize the city, then it would spread out to the surrounding villages right. and suburbs. And so it says God starts in a garden, Genesis 2, but it ends in Revelation with a city. Right. So God's emphasis is on the city, and therefore Cain, you know, founding the first city was significant in the theology or the movement of God in human history. Now, all that I can go along with, because mm -hmm. Paul certainly went to the cities, he yes. targeted the cities, yes. mm -hmm. but there's an added piece. Mm -hmm. They see the beginning of the city as a good thing. Yes, right? yes. absolutely. And that is an idea that I take great issue with, and many other people have taken great issue with it as well. And in the book, Insurgents, there is a chapter entitled The Birth of the World System. The world system was conceived in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve yielded to the serpent, mm -hmm. but it was born in Genesis 4. Genesis. And the world system is not a good thing. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. an enemy, it's not. Yes. one of the chief enemies of God. And so I want to explore Genesis 4 a little bit in some detail. Now, one of the points I make in the book Insurgents is that what we have in Genesis 4 is we have Cain leaving the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And because he leaves the presence of God, he has to replace what he knew in God's presence through some other vehicle, through Amen. some other mechanism. Yes. And that therein lies the motivation for the birth of the city, the first city. When Cain was in the presence of God, just like everyone else, they had their provision in God, they had their enjoyment in God, and Amen. then they had their security. Amen. They had their security in God. When Cain left, he built a replacement, a substitute for what he found in God, that which would produce provision, that which would produce enjoyment, and that which would produce security. True. And that's what the city did. It became the replacement of mm. God and his family. Now, in the context of ancient Israel, and even in the context of Genesis as a whole in the narrative, cities were places of concentrated power where upwardly mobile people strove to make a name for themselves. Mm -hmm. 
And you find this throughout the narrative. Now, Cain was banished from the presence of God because he had shed blood. And so God drove him out of his presence. Interestingly, God was uninvolved in the construction of the first city, the one that Cain built, which was named Enoch. God was not involved in it at all, nor was the Lord involved in its governing. That's very significant because when I read Insurgents and saw that piece, that was not taught, that was not brought out in seminary, as I was saying early, but he's banished from the presence of God and God is not involved in the construction right. of that first city, nor its internal governance. Yes. That is key. That's the it is key. key and it you. was a response to being driven out of the presence of God. Yes. See, that's exactly that what too. he did. That's, yes. that's the impulse. Yes. I can't have what I had in God's presence, yes. so I'm going to create it in my own. Yes. There is the origin of the city. Now, Jacques Ollel has written a marvelous book on the origin of the city and what the meaning of the city is. Mm -hmm. And I make reference to it in Insurgents yeah. if people want to go deeper into it. But anyway, as we read the account in Genesis 4, we have the great, great, great grandson of Cain, and his name is Lamech. Mm -hmm. And Lamech has two wives, okay. which is a departure from Eden where man is to take one wife and become right. one with one wife. He doesn't leave his father and cling to his wife and become one flesh with her. Mm -hmm. He has two women mm. <laughs> who have left their parents to join their husband, and he chooses to become one flesh with two women. So there you have the origin of polygamy. And mm. by the way, even though we do have polygamy stated in the Bible, the Bible never condones polygamy. <coughs> it's never approved in Scripture. Mm -hmm. It just reports it matter-of-factly. Yes. And the polygamous union leads to disaster. A husband cannot give his full devotion to both wives or more. Amen. <laughs> Amen. As a husband, <laughs> You're having trouble yeah, just, just doing with it with one, one wife. That's Amen. Right, right here. Right. Amen. And this kind of harkens back to God's warning that husbands will begin to rule over their wives and that their desire will be for their husbands. That's that right. was a warning in Genesis yeah. 3. Yeah, it was. Right? So this is where polygamy leads. Polygamy most often happened with kings. Since they were wealthy, they could afford multiple wives. Mm -hmm. But in the law of Moses, God forbids even kings from taking multiple wives. That's in Deuteronomy 17.17. 17. And if kings can't do it, if they're barred from having multiple wives well then so is everybody else that's right yeah, amen. <laughs> but anyway lamech is presented as this primitive king in this first city he has his wives ada and zillah and they bear sons who would be the pioneers for three occupations associated with city life and jeffrey these three occupations have been with us ever since the first city was born. It's integral to the city wherever you find it. That's right. So I want to go into some of this. We have, first of all, Jabel, whose descendants live in tents and have livestock. That's verse 20. And Jabel's descendants play the lyre and the pipe. That's verse 21. And Tubal-Cain made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Verse 22. So here you have the core essentials of city life. You have food, entertainment, and industry. This is the beginning of civilization as we know it. That's right. 
if you look closely at these three things, we can say that, this is how I said it in Insurgents, they give us provision. Yes. There's the food industry. Food. They give us enjoyment. There's the entertainment, the music. And then they give us security. security. And this came out of the weaponry. Bronze and iron tools. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. To put it another way, the city provides pleasure, mm -hmm. protection, and provision. Amen. Three Ps. Or you can say it produces satisfaction, sustenance, and security. Mm. Three, S's. Three S's. All saying the same thing. Yes. Okay? Yes. All of those things were to be found in the garden with God. He was the source of their yes. provision, Come enjoyment, on. and security. Amen, somebody. So the city then becomes the replacement. Because they made all that outside of the presence of God and distorted marriage. Wow. John Nugent has done some excellent work on this. He has a commentary that covers Genesis 1 to 11. Okay. And it's part of the Polis Bible Commentary. Okay. And I'd like to quote some of what he says about Genesis 4. Jabel's descendants may have been those who live in tents and focus on property acquisition, whether livestock or otherwise. This could be the beginning of suburbia, smaller villages that were close enough to cities to be counted as part of them. These tent dwellers constitute a primitive merchant class of economic middlemen who profited immensely by mediating between those inside and outside the city walls. They are like those greedy men who waited outside the city gate on Sabbath, eager to begin trading. Hmm. Such people were often the source of economic injustice and were frequently criticized by the prophets. Tubal Cain's trade is equally dubious. Hmm. Metal urgy, that's the creation of metals okay may be an admirable trade to modern folks but ancient israelites would have been deeply suspicious of metal workers hmm. metal was good for three things idols weapons and farming equipment wow. idol making was off limits for israel as was maintaining a standing army the strong connection between metal workers and warfare is evident in second kings 24 16 where metal workers are presumed to be capable warriors. That the Israelites, God's people, were mm -hmm. relatively unskilled smiths is evident in 1 Samuel 13, 1 Kings 7, where they contract out such work to neighboring peoples. Hmm. Metallurgy, that is metal workers, continued to be a suspect profession among Jews in the, in the Second Temple period. 1 Enoch 8 verse 1 names it a mystery that fallen angels hmm. taught humans. Michael wow. Heiser and I talked yes, about this yes, in an earlier yeah. episode. It enabled them to make weapons of warfare, which, which resulted in the earth being filled with violence, which ultimately precipitated the flood. Hmm. Could the same be said of Jubal? Surely music is a neutral practice. Hmm. Yet again, the Hebrew raises questions. We're told in verse 21 that Jubal begets those who seized lyre and flute. The word for seized is almost always a violent term. Since this passage is routinely assumed to be detailing the happy development of high civilization as we enjoy it today, translators simply translate it as play, which makes these persons out to be ordinary musicians. But what if Genesis 1-11 to is not as fond of high civilization as we are? Oh, and it's not. It's not. God was certainly not pleased with Babel. 
which anticipates the high civilization of Babylon out of which God calls Abram, or with Egypt out of which God calls the Israelites. Moreover, this account doesn't culminate in the glory of civilization, but in murder and escalating vengeance. If all of this is so, then those who seize instruments could have negative connotations. Their occupation could refer to the way city dwellers numb their sense of estrangement from God's good creation with the soothing sound of music. And this is true because when they left the presence of God, mm -hmm. they needed some form of enjoyment or entertainment. Yeah. Right? Yes. And this is not to say that all music is bad. All right? Music can be used for God's glory. But how does the world use music? Very different from the Christian. Yeah, absolutely does. What should we make of Genesis 4's negative account of the first city, which is later followed by Genesis 11's negative account of the first post-Diluvian city? At the least, it should caution us about the city's negative potential. We ought not to be enamored by the bright lights and big money. Amen. The more they numb people's senses to their estrangement, from the Creator and His good creation, the more we need to plant churches there that embrace, display, and proclaim God's kingdom, the new creation mm. that has already begun in Christ. Cain's descendants merrily institutionalized their estrangement from God's good creation and His presence, I would add, so God's salvation must come from somewhere else. And, brother, that's a great quote by John Nugent. That is. My other partner in the podcast who's not awesome, with us. That's an awesome quote. But that shows us that fallen human civilization is, in effect, the same as what the Bible calls in the New Testament the world or the world system. It provides provision, enjoyment, and security apart from God's presence. And yes. there you have the major elements of the city. Yes. And so Amen. this is one of the reasons why Paul went into the cities to find the people who were ensnared by that Amen. system, the world system, to bring them out of darkness, to bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the glorious light of the liberty of Christ into his kingdom. Amen. But this gives us a new perspective on what the world system really is all about. It really, it really does. That piece where John says they institutionalized the city, they, they came and institutionalized because of their estrangement from God. They needed something to replace that. Yes. Absolutely. And so being in the city of Philadelphia, which is the fifth largest city in the country, it's like I just see that on a daily basis. Mm. You know, on a daily basis, people chasing security, people chasing provision, people chasing entertainment, mm -hmm. people chasing all these things outside of the presence of God. And now seeing how in school and seminary where it was like we should go to the city, it wasn't saying we should go to the city, you know, because to be that alternative civilization, it was just like, you know, and, and you're right, Paul's strategy was he went to the city, but he went with a different motive. And understanding that what was there in the city that was uh, what the enemy was doing there in the city and, and not being ignorant of the devil's devices. And so I've seen also in the city, unfortunately, uh, churches and Christian nonprofits fall under the snare of the devil in trying to get economic resources and trying to get things 
and joining up in partnership with the city or elements of the city that are part of the world system and it just compromises yeah just compromises you and you don't need to do that because if we find our full satisfaction in christ Mm. like he said to that woman at the well if you drink this water you know you'll never thirst again you'll be satisfied and seek our provision from being in christ seek our security from being in Christ and seek our entertainment, our joy right. from being in Christ, then we will, we will be able to turn our back on the world system and be that alternative civilization in the midst of all that. Yeah. And it is the family of God. It is the heavenly civilization. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. You know, the people of God together. Yes. That is the plot ground. That is the container for God's presence. Yes. Where in the city... You have people numbing their loss of God's presence. Yes. And this is why all throughout the Bible, the city represents humanity's self-alienation from God. Yeah. You have it in Enoch, the first city that we just talked about mm-hmm. in Genesis 4. You have it in Babel, Sodom, Nineveh, Egypt, Babylon, etc. They all illustrate life without God. Yes. And the Lord's original will was not a city. It was a garden. Amen. And Israel... God's pilot project for returning to the life of the garden was called to be a tribal people tribal, rather than a people who live by the standards of fallen human civilization. Amen. And Israel was known in the rabbinic writings as the New Eden. The New Eden. Yes, yeah. And so really what the city provides is false security. It provides an enjoyment that doesn't satisfy. It provides provision that people fight over and war over and that uses means to try to get ahead of one another amen you know and so this is why people call it the rat race (laughs) literally is because the city and really the fallen human civilization on a larger scale the world system is the flesh organized socially and historically as dallas willard once put it i love that the flesh organized socially and historically yeah and that in effect is what the world system is i I love how you say in the book how the world system is like the chief enemy if you will of god the father it's that system you say if you get caught in the riptide of the world system. Every time my family and I go to the beach and mm-hmm. you know the, the wave comes in but then it goes out. I said, see that riptide, it pulls you. Yeah. And you oh. say it pulls you away from mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. If you get caught in the riptide of that world system, it will pull you away from Jesus Christ. And you know, sad to say, at one time in my life in Christ, in seeking to obtain provision seeking to obtain you know a level of joy and comfort and security financially and everything for my family i was caught up in that system at mm. the same time you know as a believer and filling the tug back mm. and forth and it was really the grace of the lord to call me to a position as a chaplain at the time in a rescue mission where uh, let's just say that my salary was so low that if God didn't provide, then it was going to be one way or the other. But it taught me mm. and it taught us how to look to the Lord and trust in him. And so, you know, I, I love also how you said Israel was the new Eden because we see in uh, Galatians 6.15 at the end of that verse, 
Paul compares the new creation that we are in Christ as the new Israel. Mm. So that means then, if my thinking's in line here, that the body of Christ can be the new Eden and the earth. And a divine colony, a heavenly colony, the ecclesia in the earth, living off the resources of heaven and not the resources of fallen human civilization. That's right. You know, and one point of exhortation to to all of us, Mm -hmm. including myself, what you flirt with, you'll fall for. Mm. What you flirt with, you will fall for. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Mm. The next time you look at Lot, where is he? He's in Sodom. He's in there. What you flirt with, you will fall for. And we need one another as fellow citizens of the kingdom of God to encourage one another to stay unspotted from the world. While we live in this fallen world, we are not from this world, nor are we of it. And the Lord tells us to come out from among them and not to be ensnarled or enslaved to that system whose head is God's own enemy. You know, you shared with us uh, at the network conference, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, and talking about that shared life and those one another's. I love it. Uh, You've said before in your writings that there's like 58 to 72 one another's in the New Testament, depending on your translation. But Hebrews 3, 13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by Mm. sin's deceitfulness. And so that shared corporate body life under the headship of Jesus Christ, the ecclesia, the new Israel, the Eden in the earth, Mm. you know, it's so important in that shared life. And I know I keep coming back to this, but that just gets me back to kingdom cells again, and being able to have that encouragement with one another at least in a kingdom cell with another person, or however many that the Lord decides to put in that kingdom cell, but at least one other person, to be able to encourage one another because Mm. it's so easy for us to flirt with that world system. And it's so subtle and, you know, it's so deceitful that you can be getting caught in the riptide of it and not even be aware of it, you know. So to encourage and pray for one another. And be able to have somebody that's close enough to me, or that at least that I can listen to that correction. Yeah. You know, when it comes, uh, mm-hmm. my heart doesn't get hard. And I don't want my heart to get hard. Yeah. Well, we'll end it there. Until next time, you have a great week, and we will see you in the next episode. Adios. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.